Good morning, church. How's everybody doing today? Uh, Like I say, if you came here to see Pastor John, surprise, uh, (laughs) him and his family are on a trip, seeing extended family. He'll be back next week, uh, so I encourage you to come. Uh, Pray for them for a safe trip, safe travels. Uh, like I say, I'm Jay Barons, uh, the the guy everybody's been praying for. I need it. Trust me. The uh, we're uh, we're 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 continuing our series on the Holy Spirit. Uh, last week, Pastor John kicked us off uh, with who is the Holy Spirit. The uh, today we'll be looking at the Holy Spirit saves. Now, last week, Pastor John used a term or a phrase that kind of caused me to ponder a little bit. It was called systematic theology. That that sounds like some, I don't know, college freshman words that I don't understand. So I visited with him a little bit. I, I researched. I went to look and prayed about it. Um, and, and when I say systematic theology, does anybody got that nailed down exactly what that is? Yeah, me, me neither. So, so I, I looked up theology. Theology is the study of uh, the nature of God and religious truths, rational inquiry into religious questions. Okay. The second definition is a system or school of opinions concerning God and religious questions. How many of y'all think that we live in a world that has opinions about God? Yeah. And and there's a there's a there's a saying out there that an opinion's like uh, a nose. Everybody has one, right? We'll, we'll go with that. So doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means everybody's got an opinion. So, so when, you, when you think about that, if, if systematic theology is really, or theology is really just basically opinions and studying and uh, about the Word of God and who God is, how do you know if your opinion's right? How do you know if ours is right? How do we know if it's in alignment with God? The Bible. Thank you, Miss Tony. The, the Bible. Get in the Word. So then, then when you think about that, we're going to break down the Word today just like Pastor John did last week on this series of who the Holy Spirit is. Today we're going to see the Holy Spirit saving. And our systematic theology, we're going to see some other viewpoints as we move through the scriptures today, some other questions and opinions. But at least we're trying to go down that road of not Jay's opinion, uh, not Fred's opinion, not Mac's opinion, or anybody else's. It's what's God's theology on this, and our as our church or a body of believers, are we in alignment with that? And so we're continuing that series. So, granted, Pastor John delivered the message last week. I'll be delivering the message this week. We're pretty sure it'll be Pastor John next week, but God's in charge. We don't know. But I can tell you this. The one thing we need to focus on on all of this is no matter the man that's in the pulpit, the message comes through and by the Holy Spirit. It, 
It, it doesn't matter. I mean, if, if you read a news article and you read it in the newspaper or you saw it on TV or you saw it on the Internet, what's it matter? The news is the news. A man up here is just a vehicle to deliver it. So with that in mind, let's, let's get low and let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank You. Thank You for this opportunity, uh, Lord, for us to study Your Word. Lord, we, we humble ourselves before You. Lord, Lord, we ask that You would just pour out the Spirit on us this morning. Show us, show us, Lord, Your Word and the deeper meanings as, as we study in the Scripture uh, where Jesus is explaining how the Holy Spirit saves us and how that works. God, we pray that our opinions are blocked out and Your theology, Your opinion is the only one that counts. Let everything we do here today glorify and honor You and further Your kingdom. And the congregation said, Amen. Alright, so uh, just a, a quick review. Last week, uh, Brother John did talk to us about uh, who the Holy Spirit is. And in your bulletin, you'll see that. I asked him to just put in a review. So follow along with me here. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. I don't know why it's got an A in here. But is God. The Holy Spirit is awesome. And the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. So hold on to that because we're going to build on top of who the Holy Spirit is. And we're going to look at how regeneration happens uh, through the Holy Spirit. You'll see the definition there in your bulletin. Regeneration, a secret act of God, uh, the Holy Spirit, in which He imparts new spiritual life to us, sometimes called... Anybody read that last part for me? Be born again. Exactly. How many of y'all have ever heard that statement? How many of y'all have lived that statement? Amen. The, uh, so, we're going to be in John 3 today, 1 through 8. Uh, we've got a few other reference scriptures, but, but we will, we're, our main focus will be in John 3, 1 through 8. So, if you'll turn there uh, with me, and if you don't have a Bible, take one right in front of you. Uh, the, uh, I, I want to do just kind of a little, I guess, step back just a minute uh, in case, case you're not familiar about where we're in the Bible. I want to lay a little foundation, a little groundwork about what's going on before we get to John chapter 3. So we kind of got to focus on the tail end of John chapter 2. So in John chapter 2, it's, uh, the Passover is at time, it's, it's at near. So Jesus and the disciples are back in Jerusalem and they go to the temple. Uh, in the temple, there's a lot of things going on. Uh, there's a, the sale of livestock is going on, the sale of pigeons. Uh, you have to have special money for Passover or a certain kind of coin. Not everybody has that. So there's people there changing money. There, there's people that are in the temple doing trade, market. It looks like a flea market day or something going on. This upsets Jesus a little bit. And this is known as the cleansing of the temple the first time. So what Jesus does is He fashions a whip and He drives all the livestock out. Uh, he turns the money changer tables over and money goes everywhere. And rightly so, this causes a little bit of a commotion. 
And he tells them, do not, I want to get this right, do not make my father's house a house of trade. That, I mean, do not. You know, we, we learned this morning, a lot of times when God says don't do something, who's it hurting? It's hurting us. The reason, he's doing it for protection. So the, the people in the temple and everything that saw this, that witnessed all this going on, it's a lot of people. Uh, this is a big place. They might have a few questions. So they ask him, you know, what, wh wh where's this coming from? And guys, I'd encourage you to go back in two. It's a great story. I'm ad-libbing here some. But they ask him, Where, where's this coming from? By, by what right do you do this? And Christ answered them. He says, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. Now, they're thinking about the temple that took them 46 years to build. and <clears throat> But we know, because we know the rest of the story, Christ was talking about his body. So, he went on to do teaching and some other signs and things like that. And the, there, was, there was people there that started listening and started following and started, you know, going kind of with Jesus. And so think about that atmosphere. It kind of sets the stage for where we're at in John 3. What's just happened? He's cleansed the temple. People have questioned him. But now people are starting to follow him. So... It's caused a little bit of, a, of an upheaval or change is happening. So if you'll join with me in John 3, 1 through 8. First verse. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. All right. When, when you get me up here, I'm pretty simple-minded. I have to look up big words. Pharisee is a word we've used all our life. I've heard it in church all my life. I did a real deep dive study this week on what a Pharisee is. Uh, I thought I knew, and I was pretty much did, but Nicodemus was one of the 6,000 Pharisees, and Pharisees means separated one. If you boil it down, that's, that, that's our definition. The Pharisees separated themselves from society. They studied and taught the law of God. Uh, they, were, they were leaders. The, uh, they separated themselves from the common people because basically they considered the common people to be unclean religiously. Now, not only was Nicodemus one of the, the 6,000 Pharisees in leadership positions, but he was one of the 70 Sanhedrins. The Sanhedrins were the ultra-supreme leaders. If what they said went. They were the interpreters of the law. They taught the law. Everything rolled down from them. They, they, they were the boss. So this isn't just a man that's, that's coming with questions. Uh, it's I mean, it'd be like, I don't know, president showing up at your house or something with a question or something. Uh, I don't even know if I want to compare him to a president, but it's some high-ranking official. So, in verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night. Why? Anybody shout it out. Why, why would he go see Jesus at night 
Now, that's probably right. Yeah. Now, now we, we don't know Nicodemus's heart here. He might really be transforming. He, the Spirit might be working on him. We just don't know. But we do know he went at night, and there's, there's quite a few reasons. I'm, I'm with you, sister, that uh, probably didn't want everybody to know about it. I mean, let's, let's just use the president analogy again for a minute. If the president showed up in Iowa Dulce at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on your doorstep, do you think anybody would notice it? Yeah. Right, wrong, or indifferent. So it might be he just wanted a private conversation, or it might have been out of fear. He didn't want anybody to know what he was doing. Irregardless, it goes on and said to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, Rabbi shows some respect, or maybe he's trying to flatter him and butter him up. We, we really can't get too tied up in Nicodemus's motives here, but irregardless, he did show him some respect, and that shows me that the Pharisees did recognize Christ as being someone from God. So when, when I look at this and, and I think about it, he's asking him the, these questions, but, but it's really more like a statement. You know, we know that you're a teacher come from God, statement, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with you, statement, but we know there's questions in there. In other words, you claim to be or you are so how does, how does Jesus respond? Jesus answered him, I'm in verse 3. Jesus answered him, truly, truly. Let, let's, let's, let's put a pin in it right there for just a second. Truly, truly, I, I had to go break that down also. Truly, truly means amen, amen, or verily, verily. It means most assuredly. So in the Old Testament, we see amen as meaning sure, so be it, the truth, uh, agree, you know, things like that. We, we see that in the Old Testament. In the, in the New Testament, where do we use amen? After we pray. There we go. This isn't hard, people. Work with me. That a boy. Yeah. And my valedictorian right there. So, uh, yeah, and, and so when we say it after prayer or after the preacher says something or somebody makes a statement, uh, it usually means, or what, what, we're, what we're using that, is, is it means that I accept, I agree, or I endorse what you just said. So it, when, when we pray... And we say the congregation says amen, and the congregation is accepting, they're endorsing, they're, they're, they're going with whoever put that prayer. Okay, but there's a twist. In the Gospel, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, in the Gospels, the single amen truly or verily is used over 50 times. However, in the book of John, is the only place we find doubles. And we find Jesus using a double amen, a double truly, and a double verily 
25 times. So what, what does it mean? Boil it down, because I'm simple, and God's Word is, is beautiful. It means pay close attention and be ready to answer with a double amen. So if God's going to tell us something, and He goes truly, truly, that means what's fixing to be said, you need to set your telephone down, you need to turn the TV off, maybe you need to listen, because God's got something to say. And when he does that, maybe it's a double amen at the end. Amen, amen. The, uh, so what does Jesus say back up in verse 3? Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot... Somebody tell me, what's it say? See. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Your first question in our bulletin is sight. Um, so, if Jesus gives us a double truly, truly, you must be what? You must be born again to see the kingdom of God. It doesn't, doesn't say anything else about all these other roads or all these different ways or all these things you need to do. What's, what's the one requirement to see the kingdom of God? Born again. Born again. So, when, when we see that, or we hear that, now Nicodemus, he's a smart man, he's an educated man, but even if you weren't educated, what's the, what's the first question that would come to my mind? Well, how am I born again? You know, so let, let's see in, in, in verse 4 what Nicodemus says. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? How can that be? I mean, that's a logical question, right? I mean, we, we take a lot for granted because we, we have a completed Bible with all the words, the Scriptures, everything. But think back to Nicodemus' time. Born again was a brand new concept. They only knew about one birth. So it's a very, very logical question. And I mean, I, and I'm pretty sure I, I would probably even ask it. So Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he's old? Now, I don't know how familiar each one of y'all are with Jesus, how much time you get to spend with Him, how much time you stay in the Word, or anything else, but let me give you a little insight to Jesus. When He's asked a direct question, He usually doesn't answer or tell us what we want to hear. But I can tell you, I can promise you, and if y'all want to stay here for a day or two, I can show you every time in the Bible, but if God says it, it's the truth, and you need to hear it. End of story. So, so how does, how does Jesus answer him? And remember, he always answers questions in what we need to hear. Not what we want to hear, but when we need to hear. Jesus answered in verse 5, uh-oh, what do we got? Truly, truly. Yeah, what's that mean? Set the phone down, pay attention. 
Let's go. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So, truly, truly, again, it's got to be important. And Jesus says water. All right, let's talk about some systematic theology. When Jesus is talking about water in this context, it's baptism. 100% sure, I'm convinced of that. No doubt in my mind. When you... Other theologies out there, some other religions, some other people, things like that, try to confuse this with the water that's broke during fleshly, worldly birth of a baby. I can tell you right now, there that's a whole different Greek word. It's not the water that Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about a fleshly birth. He's not talking about a worldly birth. The water here is baptism. Uh, if and, and I know there's people here that have questions about baptism. Uh, Pastor John did a... Uh, uh, a sermon on baptism. It's in our, if you go to the website, if you go to the why we do what we do, you can find it right there on baptism. You can get a lot of questions answered there that we can't go into today just because of time and we're focusing on the Spirit. So take that on faith that baptism is the water he's referencing here and baptism is something we do out of obedience. It has no saving grace. The, uh, the next thing that he mentions is unless, unless one is born of water and the, anybody want to help me? Spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. So now we get to unpack a little bit about the Holy Spirit. I said all of that to get us to here. <laughs> Spirit, the, the Greek word, how many of y'all know the Greek word for spirit? I bet everybody in here knows it. Anybody heard the word pneumonia? The first part of pneumonia is pneumo or... Yeah, that is the Greek word for spirit. It means spirit, it means wind, and it means breath. If you didn't write that down, write it down. There's going to be a test here in just a minute, I promise. I I know the guy that put this together. So, write down P-N-E-U-M-A. That's pneuma, which is the Greek word. So, everybody, please tell Pastor John, Jay taught us Greek. Yeah. The, uh, so, re remember, just like a lot of other Greek words, Hebrew words, they had different meanings different context but this word is one in three it means either spirit wind or breath and that's the word jesus used here is pneuma so in verse six that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit so our second question there i receive spiritual life so we, we have to make the, the deal. If you're born again, that means you're alive. 
and you're alive now in the Spirit. This is regeneration. So when, when we talk about, about regeneration, if you'll, if you'll look in your bulletin, my second page, there's, there's quite a few verses right here. I'm going to read through those where you don't have to, but please follow along. Uh, and I would, I would say to, to go back. If you don't have something to study next tomorrow morning when you get up, these are some real good ones to look at regeneration and exactly what it means. So the first one, John uh, 1, 12 through 13, I am a child of God. Verse 12 says, But to all who did receive Him who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That pretty much breaks it down. This isn't flesh. This wasn't the will of man. This was the will of God. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, I'm a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's the symbolism of baptism. The old goes away and the new has come. The, see, see how all this... It's, it, you know what, to me, when I start looking through this stuff, it's kind of like somebody's in charge and there's a plan here how this all fits together. You know, I'm just just guessing. So, no, I'm not. I have faith that that's the way it is. So in Titus 3, 4, and 5, I am saved. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by in His righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Some real key points there as we become disciple makers if someone questions you. How are we saved? By mercy. End of story. And by through that saving mercy, what does it do? We're regenerated and renewed by what? The Holy Spirit. Guys, don't get tied up. The world will want to argue with you. The world will want to talk about loopholes. Always go back to the Scripture. Don't take anything away. Don't add anything. It's perfect. The First uh, Peter one three b through four. We'll read the whole thing. I have living hope. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be hidden, be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable. imperishable Beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is God's sight, is very which in God's sight is very precious. God doesn't care what we look like. God cares what's in our heart. And when when we go out into the world and we're representing God or representing the kingdom of God, it's not about how we look. It's about what's in our heart. It's about how the relationships, it's about how we treat with each other. If we are truly a changed individual, if we're truly a new creation, the world should recognize it. I mean, how come if you get your hair done 
everybody notices. But, you know, if you become a Christian, does everybody notice? Well, they should. You know, they should. Galen, there's something different about you. What did you do, girl? Is it the hair? You know, it's that new, new glasses. That's what it is. And maybe I'm a Christian. You know, just maybe. So we, we should let the world see the change, the difference in us, the new creation. So I, I have a living hope. Oh, that, I'm sorry. I am indestructible. First Peter one twenty three. Yeah, the next one. I'm sorry about that, Steve. You're dealing with a rookie up here. So, First Peter one twenty three. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. How many of y'all know that in the Bible there's a verse that says, "Once you're in the hand of God, nothing can take you out." That's pretty much imperishable. You know, we, we talked about in Sunday school, I got a saying, you know, the devil can kill me, but he can't eat me. That's against the law. He'll never own me. He'll never have me. I belong to Christ. And nothing, nothing, according to Scripture, can change that. I'm indestructible. I am sanctified. 1 John 3.9 No one born of God no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Does that, does that mean we're going to be perfect? No, it means we're sanctified through Christ. We're, we're forgiven. Those sins are covered. I believe the Scripture says, cast as far from the east as to the west. That's a long ways, I'm pretty sure. Change pages. Alright. So let's let's move on to verse seven. Nicodemus and Jesus are still having this conversation. Jesus has explained to him about how you're born again, how the regeneration happens, uh, how you're born of the water, how you're born of the spirit. Any of y'all know what Nicodemus's face probably looks like right about now? I mean, it would probably be like you trying to talk to me about trigonometry or something. I'd, I'd probably be deer in the headlight, maybe my mouth open, drooling a little bit. I, I wouldn't be getting what you're saying. So, the uh, in seven, we we kind of see this. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So everything that he's, he's taught through here, he took back to the very first statement. Now, that's probably hard for old Nicodemus to wrap his head around this. I mean, yeah, we've got the New Testament, but remember back then, he's talking to the New Testament and didn't know what it was or who he was. But if, if you don't get anything else about Jesus' message in here, I know we're studying about the Holy Spirit, which is Jesus. Get this part. When, when the world's trying to wrap their head around what's going on, when you're, when you're talking to someone who's not saved, 
when you're talking to someone who doesn't know Christ and they got that deer in the headlight look, you know what the beauty of Christ is? He didn't water it down. He didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't make it fit your parameter or the world's views of how to get to heaven or anything else. He went back and said the truth. You must be born again. End of story. It's, it's that simple. But we, we live in a society that wants to believe there's multiple ways to heaven. That, you know, it's all right to, to be yourself or to be this or whatever. But that's the beauty of Christ. When He's posed with that, and that type of discussion has to be going on. Because here, here is an expert on the law, on God's law, on the Old Testament. So you know He had to have that look in His face and be, what are you talking about? Jesus didn't say, well, let me put it another way. Let me tell you a story. Well, you know, you're right, Nicodemus, but we have it. No. I see Jesus just planting his foot, standing up and saying, got to be born again. End of story. And this is how you do it. And, you know, I honestly believe, I don't, I don't, I think you say, I don't want to get up here and preach, but, uh, <laughs> but maybe, if more Christians took that attitude about, well, what about this? Or what about their feelings? Or what about this? Just go back to what Christ said. you got to be born again. And maybe our world will start to change a little bit. So verse 8, here comes the test, if any of y'all remember. The wind, what's the word for wind? Numa. What's the word for spirit? What's the word for breath? So, right there, when Jesus says the wind, he's using the pneuma, blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. How many of y'all know where the wind comes from or where it goes? You do? All right. <laughs> The uh, yeah, wind wind is usually caused by heating over a large part of the earth, things like that, differences in atmospheric pressure, things. But when you're a child, if the wind's blowing and someone says that's the wind, you accept it. We we just accept it. We we know that the wind is blowing. We don't know what the wind is, we don't know why the wind exists, we don't know where the wind's going, but we accept the wind. Yet if I come to you and you're not a child of God and they say, well, how am I saved by the Spirit? I don't get it. What's the Spirit? Well, the Spirit's the wind. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, okay. The wind is the wind. Oh, well, that makes sense. Really, people? A lot of this is a mystery. And Jesus is kind of pulling the curtain back and He's revealing some of the mysteries of the Holy Spirit. So the last part of verse 8 there, so it is with everyone who is born in the Spirit. There's a large part of this that we just accept on faith. That the Spirit is God on earth given to us. Just like if you step out here today and the wind's blowing in your face. We don't need to question the wind. We just accept the wind. And we accept the Spirit. We embrace the Spirit as a Christian.
how many of y'all, by a show of hands, and this is a this is a group participation thing. I want everybody that's still alive today. I'm not talking about alive in Christ. I'm not. Talk, I'm talking about physically alive. Raise your hand. Okay. Philip, good. I, you got yours up, so that we don't have to call the ambulance yet. So, the uh, right. Everybody in here is alive. Okay. Did y'all know in Genesis two seven? This is what it says. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Or I could say he pneumed into the nostrils the pneuma of life. And the man became a living creature. Now whether you know where the Spirit came from or where the wind came from or where God's breath came from, you are a direct result of that action. God Himself. Amen, brother. God Himself. And we're a result of that. You know, I've had people tell me that uh, uh, they they see pigeons all the time. You know, and I said, yeah, well, what about baby pigeons? Well, I've never seen one of them. Well, pretty sure they exist or we wouldn't have old pigeons, right? Well, why will somebody accept that and they won't accept that God breathed into us to give us life? Do you know there's smart people out there that actually say it's physically impossible, aerodynamically impossible for a bumblebee to fly and a hummingbird to fly. I've seen both. They do a pretty good imitation of whatever I would call flying, but the smart people of our world say that's physically impossible, mathematically impossible for that to happen. But they do it. So as we unpack the mystery of the Holy Spirit, Will we ever understand God the Father, God Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit? Will we ever fully embrace that or understand it? No. Do we have to, to be born again? No. We just have to accept. If the Spirit's opening your eyes to this truth, don't resist. I don't care if you've sat in, this, in these pews all your life. Your parents drug you to church, kicking and screaming, whatever, you know. You know where you're at, and God knows where your heart's at. And I'm telling you, the Spirit can show that to us. If He's beginning to, to open your eyes, don't resist. Today could be the day. And remember, if, if you walked out of here today, and someone asked you, anybody asked you, if I asked you, it might be a test, uh, and you get bonus points. If I ask you, what do I got to do to see the kingdom of God? What would your answer be? Be born again. And how do we do that? Spirit and water. Guys, if you don't know the answer, it's right here in the Bible. And Jesus goes back to it. When He's pushed, when He's questioned, He doesn't water it down for the audience. He just states the obvious. Just tells the truth. And that's all He wants from us. So if you are that seasoned Christian, put your arm around the people that have questions and state the truth. Don't mislead them. If you're that person with questions, now might be the time to let's talk to God.